Well, thanks everyone for coming for the second day here. Um, naturally, the day that I have to give two presentations, I wake up with a head cold, so um, bear with me a little bit. Um, I'm Adam Smith, the Forest Products Program Leader. Uh, myself and, and Heather Nobert in the back, we work with uh, forest product businesses, operations, uh, communities to try and see what we can do to develop markets for our wood resources. Um, whether it's wood energy or biochar or traditional lumber products, that's kind of where we, where we fit into this whole thing um, of uh, providing service to, to communities and businesses. Today we're going to talk about urban planning, um, a little bit about of, of EAB coming and then what are some considerations that communities can make when they're trying to develop a plan or when inevitably when an elected official or a, a concerned citizen comes in and says, what are we going to do with all this wood? Um, so we're going to try and help maybe sort out some of those and give you some, some paths to go down when trying to determine what's the best option for, uh, for your community or your business to play a role in this. So the outlook. Um, in 2012, no, 2011 and 2012, we had a, a program called CTAP, Community Threat Assessment Protocol, where we did um, GIS and, and computer mapping inventories of what turned out to be 67 communities across Nebraska. Um, and here's just some of the, the information that we had. So these are mapped ash trees per communities. Um, the Omaha information actually came from um, the Omaha inventory that John Wynn led. Um, so that's, that's good, more up-to-date information. But here we can see what we have as far as a, you know, a tree resource in some of these communities, especially in the east. You know, 10,500 in Omaha, uh, almost 500 in Blair and Papillion, over 600 in York, South Sioux City, Kearney, Fremont. So it's, it's a varying scale. As, as everyone knows, we have you know, two or three larger communities um, that are going to have tens of thousands of trees to deal with. Um, these, but these smaller communities have, have the same issues with disposal, but um, just at a different scale. And these are just public trees. So if we apply um, a, a growth or a um, sort of volume estimate equation to this based on number of trees and diameter of trees, we get an estimated amount of wood waste. And so we can see the city of Omaha on public lands alone it's estimated there's going to be about 46,000 cubic yards of wood waste generated from managing those ash trees. Um, and again, we, we see sort of the, the smaller numbers there, but that was weird. Um, so it's, it's an issue at varying scales, and it all has to do with the capacity of the community. So here's the, uh, and I, I hand drew that football in, in paint. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. Um, city of Omaha wood waste. Um, if we were to take all of the, all the public trees in the city of Omaha, put them together into one giant wood block, this microphone's making me nervous, um, it would cover a football field, goal line to goal line, sideline to sideline, 26 feet tall. So one giant slab of wood. Um, research shows us that the public trees versus the private trees, there's about two to five times the number of private trees that there is public trees. And so if we add those potential private trees on there, we're looking at a resource that's the size of a football field and 13 stories tall. So that's the, that's the resource that we're talking about, is what are we gonna do with all this wood waste? It's tough to quantify, and, and this is you know, an estimation, but um, that tells us a little bit about the scale. Um, we're, we're looking at a, a issue here um, and it's it's gonna take some it's gonna be a challenge for a lot of communities to dispose of this um, and it's gonna take some creativity on how to address it so why are we gonna use wood waste um, sort of the, the 
typical thoughts, I guess, you know, we're, we want to re reduce our environmental impacts from landfilling and pile burning. Uh, we want to reduce our costs, and that's a, a combination of recovering those management costs, um, of dropping those trees, and as well as just avoiding the disposal costs. Um, now, because we have a wide range of communities in, in Nebraska, especially eastern Nebraska, um, you know, there, there may be agreements in place with county landfills to take some of this wood, or at least to store some of this wood. Um, other communities may not be so, so lucky. Um, you know, they just recently shut down the, the dump, the uh, landfill in Sarpy County, and so that's not a resource that's available to some folks. Um, so it's, it's going to take a um, sort of a, a different way of thinking about how we're going to do this and be cost effective about, about managing our ash trees. Um, it's also a unique wood product opportunity. Um, it's not very often that you'll get a, a large source of Siberian elm for some of these, these different um, uses. You know, if we're looking at lumber and some of these other products, there's a, there's a good opportunity here for both unique woods, but also the outreach. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the outreach that's gone on um, across the country with related to urban wood use. Um, you can get a lot of different things, and people see things a little bit differently when they can see a tree that has still the bark on it, and it's a kitchen table and some of that kind of stuff. So. Um, it, it does provide a, a fair amount of opportunity here. Um, a couple urban wood considerations. Um, when you're using wood, and we're going to talk mainly about structural and, and sort of solid lumber or solid wood products here. Um, urban trees are short, squatty, open grown, big canopy for all the reasons that we want big canopy trees, but they don't make great lumber trees when we're talking about traditional products. So something to think about when we, we see people making railroad ties out of ash in the east. Well, there's potential, I guess, but we're not dealing with the same very tall, straight trees that we are going to see in, an, in a uh, traditional forest setting. So urban trees provide their own unique issues um, compared to traditional forest trees. And some of you have seen this picture before. Um, another urban wood consideration is we don't know exactly what's underneath that initial bark layer. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the future, but that's an electrical insulator that was inside of a log that we were cutting for a project. Um, you're not going to typically find that level of foreign object in some of our, our traditional forest trees. So processing and all these kind of um, different options are going to be a little more wear and tear in equipment and a lot of unknowns as far as what's going to happen. So into the, the wood utilization planning here. Um, first thing that you're going to want to look at is what are your current practices? You know, how are you currently disposing of all these, this wood resource? Um, what are your current expenses? Do we currently create any wood products? Are we doing mulch? Are we doing compost? How supportive is your community of new urban forestry activities? Um, is, if you're going to try and jump into a new endeavor, what's the, the public backing of that? And then how are your, your management and removal activities handled? You know, how are, we, how are we tracking this? How do we determine what happens where? Um, Philip did a great job yesterday of talking about some of the challenges that they ran into as far as their, the traditional consideration of starting one end of the forest essentially and working your way to the other. Um, but they gave some, he gave some pretty good examples of why that didn't exactly work or why that didn't meet their needs. And so everything starts with uh, what do we do internally and, and do we have a really good understanding of how we handle operations um, at the present time. The next step is the community forest inventory. I think John gave a great talk yesterday about how they were using their forest inventory, um, his, his sort of underground, we will do this inventory project. Um, do you have a recent inventory? Um, the, the type of information that we're looking for when we do this, you know, trying to, trying to identify what do we have for, for a resource for wood products, obviously species, size, health, um, height in most cases, um, and then 
that height to that bottom log or height to the bottom limb, um, when we're looking at lumber products, it's typically that first log that we look on the stump. Um, is it eight foot? Is it six foot? Is it four foot? Or is it 15 foot? Um, that's, a, that's a real important piece of information that, that guides you on what you want to do. Um, we have a lot of inventories that are um, just DBH based and location based. Um, 26 inches doesn't exactly tell us the, the entire story. And so we need to, to look at maybe doing some, some more traditional data collection on some of these urban trees as to give us what are, what are our end options or what do we have potential for. And then the ability to map trees. Um, I think we saw the, the impact that it has not only from a management standpoint, the potential for, for uh, public input on some of these things. If we can get some of these community trees mapped up to the public, get them a little bit more connected, um, it gives them an opportunity to take a little bit of ownership of those trees, but then it makes management a lot easier too when you're going out to, to treat trees but also remove trees. Um, it gives you, some, gives you some options there when it comes to identifying Here's a map of that, that CTAP program that we did in, in 2011 and 2012. Um, this is a, a very big room, and so it's tough to see the specific communities that we did. But if you're looking into to, do we have a, a, uh, an updated inventory, you can contact the Nebraska Forest Service, and we can give you the information that we have. However, Graham has been working with a company called Planet Geo um, out of Colorado. And what they did is they took all of our community inventory data that we had for those 67 communities plus a couple others that they've taken um, since then. And they publicly published all of that inventory data online. Um, so for those 67 communities, every single dot, every, all of the data that we have for each tree in those communities is available, ready to view. Um, and you can actually do a little bit of analysis with some of the, the um, filters that they have there. Um, so I'd, I'd highly encourage you to take a look at that. Um, that website there on the on the bottom, um, I don't know if you can see it, pg-cloud.com, Nebraska. Um, it's a, a good resource for, for starting out. The issue is, is in 2011, 2012, we're talking five to six years ago. Um, that inventory is just getting to the point where it's maybe running past its useful life. There's been a lot of activity, a lot of storm damage. Um, so it would be good to, to look at that get a baseline and figure out what are options for, uh, for updating that inventory. Staffing capacity. Um, do you have staff available um, to lead urban wood, you know, to kind of take stuff in a different direction? And that's oversight of a program, whether you're doing mulching or whether you're doing logs. Do you have someone to, to handle the logistics of all of this, these new moving parts? Um, and then, then Sort of the transport as well as if you're looking to, to move logs or move mulch or whatever your or firewood, um, how's it going to get to where it goes? Um, you know, a lot of times if you're going to try and take it to a sawmill, there's that's you know an hour, hour and a half out of someone's day going to a sawmill and bringing it back. Um, so it's understanding that that you're going to have to move it, and that's just time out of the day that that person's going to have to be dedicated to to moving some of these products. So something something to consider if you if you have or you don't have that that spare body to to transport some of this material. Uh, staff training and education. Um, this is a little bit facetious here, but do they know what an ash tree looks like? Um, do they, they have an understanding of what we're trying to do and why we want to use this, this wood resource? Um, do they know how to, how to harvest and merchandise trees for products? You know, if we're, if one of the, the pet peeves that, that we have or we kind of see is 
you know, why didn't we use that, that tree there? Or they talk about a wood pile that's got a whole bunch of two-foot chunks in there, and gosh, we, we should have put that to better use. Well, it's a lot of times it's difficult to put a two-foot chunk of ash to use. And so are we cutting that tree up and removing that tree where we leave some of the value uh, in that tree then that can actually become something other than mulch or firewood? Um, that's, a, that's a big shift that we're going to have uh, Don Peterson talk about a little bit later is how do we, how do we do this within our current capabilities um, or some innovative capabilities um, to actually put these trees to better use. And then opportunities to train staff. A lot of, a lot of communities do a really great job of sending their staff to um, tree care workshops and some of these other workshops that we put on and that other groups put on. Um, you know, are you open to, to sending people to more, more trainings you know, when it comes to sawmilling or how to produce firewood? Um, that's not necessarily an innate uh, skill. So uh, is that an option to, to turn staff loose to go, to go pick up some new skills? Equipment capacity. Um, how are we removing those trees? If, is it chainsaw or bucket truck or bulldozer? Um, you know, what options are there for, for changing how we remove those trees? Um, how are we transporting the wood from the removal site? Uh, I think St. Paul said they stopped moving all of their chips and they brought everything back to a, a central location. Um, are we chipping in the streets or are we moving wood as a, as a whole resource? Um, understanding that. Um, are we, how are we offloading this, this material? Are we using Prentice um, log loaders or are we sort of use a dump truck? Um, understanding how we're moving this is, uh, is important to know. And then is the wood processed at the removal site? Are we doing chipping um, or are we cutting it up into smaller pieces for easy transport? Uh, mapping the whole essentially chain of custody of that wood um, give us a, obviously better understanding but can show us maybe where we can gain some efficiencies and how we can better use this material. Real estate capacity. Um, do you have space for processing wood? Um, is there space for sort of wood aggregation um, if you decided to go that route? And then also storage. Um, lumber products, finished lumber products, whether it is kiln dried or, or rough sawn, um, are not real big fans of moisture. Um, so if you're, if you're looking at, at turning wood products or, or producing wood products, do you have a place to store it inside, protected, um, out of the elements? Um, these are some, some things that we want to consider, but also, we're not trying to create a wood jail. Um, the concept of marshalling yards comes up frequently. Um, you know, where are we going to store all this wood? Ideally, if you have a, a good, complete, comprehensive plan, you're not moving wood, storing it here until you move it to another site. Um, every time we pick up all that wood, it just makes it more and more expensive. Um, this is why a plan is, is important, because we don't want to move it here, store it, and then we end up, all right, we're going to pick it up and take it over there. If you can avoid that, costs um, decrease dramatically. So having a plan in place and then understanding that every time you pick up that wood, you have to be doing something beneficial. Lastly, understand your current EAB regulations. Um, where do you transport your wood? Um, are you moving it out of this the EAB quarantine zone, um, which is Dodge, Washington, Douglas, Sarpy, and Cass counties? Does everyone in here understand that we do have an EAB quarantine? Um, I ran into somebody at, at Weatherfest in Lincoln last week that still didn't understand that we had EAB in the state. So um, maybe our messaging isn't getting out there. Um, do we understand the implications? I don't think that we've done a, a great job of promoting that we have a quarantine, that this is impactful, not, to, not only to businesses and to communities, but to individuals. Um, you know, Easter weekend, my 
is full of campers. Um, Easter weekend is a big camping weekend, um, especially with Mahoney and, and Platte River State Park and some of these other areas, and not only for but people inside. Um, so, you know, how does that play a role in this, moving this wood? And a little bit of a, of a review of those current EAB regulations. Um, corn put in place, both state and federal, to safeguard essentially the rest of the ash tree. It's not meant to hinder commerce or, you know, be a pain to people. There, we're trying to stop, or you know, USDA and NDA are really trying to stop the spread. Um, and I'd say what 95%, if not all, um, EAB spread into new areas is human induced or human caused. So stopping the flow of wood can really decrease the, the rate at which EAB spreads across the state. So regulated articles, um, ash nursery stock, green as in not dried, not green versus white ash, but essentially fresh ash, ash lumber, all hardwood firewood, all hardwood wood chips or mulch, and then any dead, living, cut, fallen ash material, logs, limbs, branches, stumps, roots, none of that can leave the quarantine area without USDA or Nebraska Department of Ag signature and certification, um, whether it's a, a compliance agreement or a special permit. Um, those are things you need to consider when developing a plan is if you're, you know, if you're taking it from Sarpy County to, you know, Lancaster County dump, um, that, that'll be an issue um, if, you, if you don't have the proper paperwork and we're not, we're not fully understanding this. So um, understanding the implications of that quarantine is rather important because um, it, is, it is subject to fines and penalties if, if um, we don't adhere to the, those rules. And so something to keep in mind. Great resources for that. Um, State Department of Ag and USDA are the enforcement, um, the groups, the ones who actually hold the quarantines. Um, we have a, a great state, sort of a statewide EAB homepage of eabne.info. Um, a lot of general resources for, for EAB on that website. Um, but also the Nebraska Department of Ag and USDA APHIS um, have their own websites and all their own materials. If you're curious about some of these, these quarantines, um, highly recommended you contact them directly um, as they're the ones who will be able to give you sort of the official blessing um, on what you can and cannot do. Product development opportunities. Um, when we talk about using urban wood waste, it's, it's either volume or value, typically is what we see. Um, high value products, finished lumber, you know, handmade furniture, that kind of stuff. Um, typically has a lower volume, takes more cost or takes more input to, to manufacture it, but is also a great outreach opportunity. High volume um, obviously has a typical lower value, you know, we're talking, you know, mulch, compost, some things. Lower processing fees sort of per unit. A tub grinder is not cheap, but when you run it for, for 24 hours straight, you pretty, get a lot of volume out of that. Um, and a wider community benefit as City Lincoln offers mulch and compost and some of that kind of stuff. You know, it, it can really reach out and, and be also a great outreach. And so we look at sort of this continuum here. Um, you're, it's very difficult to produce a lot of high volume, high quality finished lumber just because of the input costs. Um, but it's also, it's rather easy to produce things like firewood and compost um, sort of on the volume chain. So kind of consider your options there when you're looking at is do you have 10,000 ash trees that you have to get rid of? Or, you know, are we looking at a couple hundred, maybe we can make a statement here um, with some of these different trees that we have. So something to consider is sort of that volume and value continuum. Review your inventory data. Um, 
again, now that we have an inventory, how do we use it? The age distribution of our trees um, plays a big role. If we have a lot of six inch trees, are we gonna switch out microphones here? We have a lot of small trees, obviously that changes what we can do with those trees. We're not, no, no longer gonna be looking at a lot of lumber and, and sort of manufactured products. It's a lot of processed products, um, sort of vice versa. If you have some bigger trees, that's a lot of material that you're gonna need to get rid of. Um, so really understand what that inventory is telling you. Now that you have it, don't put it on a shelf, put it to really good use. Um, and then also within the individual tree, you know, are we looking at trees without real long trunks, or are we seeing a lot of secondary branches or sort of those medium branches? Um, you know, those will, that'll dictate what you have the ability to do. And, and understanding that before you make investments in some of these different processing technologies um, is really vital to, to saving money and, and overall being more successful. Existing wood products, what are you using now? Do you have a campground that the city owns that produces firewood for? Do you buy a lot of, of rough lumber for things like you know, benches and tables and picnic tables and that sort of thing. Um, and then mulch. Um, you know, Heather's gonna give a great presentation later today about the different opportunities for processed material, but if you have a, a large park system or a trail system or if you've wanted to do a trail system, um, what opportunities are there to, to administer, to, uh, to use that wood chips um, for, you know, walking paths and some of that kind of stuff. So um, really try and figure out is, is there a way you can meet your own needs with some of these, uh, some of these issues. Um, do you have an existing local wood industry, commercial sawmills, portable sawmills, mulch producers, firewood producers, artisan groups for some of the small stuff, school programs for wood shop and, and some of these other things? Um, really investigate those. A lot of times they're looking for material. Um, woodworkers love free wood. Um, so it's, it's a good opportunity to, to, to provide, a, you know, provide a resource to some of these groups, but also um, you know, reduce your own costs. And commercial sawmills, um, it's important to contact them beforehand, make sure they understand the situation. Um, and if you can set up an agreement with a sawmill who's looking to purchase some, some logs or is willing to take logs, understand their merchandising um, of their logs. It has to be you know, eight feet and can only go down to certain diameters, um, you know, some level of straightness to some of this stuff. Um, make sure that you have those conversations beforehand. And don't be shy about contacting these people. There are, some sawmills are, are very interested and you know what, if they just run a band mill, they'll take urban wood and they're totally fine with it. So, um, you know, all it is is it's worth a phone call at the very least. If they say no, that's the worst they can say. So um, consider some of those existing outlets. Evaluate your community needs. Um, so here we've got, you know, stump chairs and landscape timbers, um, little balance beams and toys for parks and stuff. This stuff is all on sale. These, these came from, from different vendors online. Um, you know, I don't really want to know how much that balance beam costs. Um, get creative on how you're going to use this stuff. You know what, a, a nice relatively straight piece in, a, in a, uh, a power washer can make a heck of a balance beam at a kid's you know, parking ground or parking, uh, parking um, park or playground. Um, so get creative on how we use some of this stuff. High value opportunities. Here we see ash cabinets um, for, uh, from the sawmill in Palmyra that was in the Lincoln Journal Star. Um, this is a conference room table on Nebraska Innovation Campus in, in Lincoln, uh, made of ash trees that were taken from the property prior to, to manufacturing. City of Lincoln is using an ash tree taken down in one of their parks for the new conference or new reception desk at their uh, new Parks and Rec Center. Um, here we're seeing um, possibly using it in some building, uh, building opportunities. We're going to talk about that later this afternoon. Um, think about what you're going to do. You know, do you have a need? Are you putting in a new building? Do you need some you know, millwork and that kind of stuff. These are all options. It just takes, I guess, an understanding and connecting that you have a resource and you have some needs 
Um, how can we make a statement by using this in our own facilities? Public-private partnerships. The, the big key that I want to get, a point, get across today, and that's why we have a lot of different speakers here, is the value of working with those businesses. Um, we have at least two sawmills in the, in the, state, or in the room right now um, who work with Urban Wood and, and would probably take some free logs. Um, so understand those, those partnerships. Um, a, a great example is the City of Lincoln and Hoffling Enterprises. Um, they have an agreement where the, the City of Lincoln um, is provided an opportunity to drop their, their wood waste at, at Hoffling Enterprises, who turns it into mulch, and the city uses, or the um, business sells it with, to the regular customers, and I'm sure it provides benefits to the community, and also you know, Hoffling Enterprises gets a free resource that they can put into their business. And so um, that back and forth is really important with the different businesses as well as the communities because it has to be mutually beneficial. Um, it's not necessarily fair to one or the other to, to put them in a tight spot, and if it doesn't benefit both, it's not really gonna happen. So um, understand that back and forth. Um, Wisconsin Urban Wood is also a great example. There's a, a nonprofit that works with woodworkers and artisans and sawmills and different groups to sign MOUs with different communities throughout Wisconsin um, to allow access to that wood. Um, so something to think about is, is um, is there a wide industry of people who could use this stuff? Um, a lot of the, the nonprofit type projects really require a champion. Um, someone who's going to lead that, someone who's going to you know, go through the paperwork of a, of a Wisconsin Urban Wood and setting up a 501c3. Um, identify those champions in your community. If, you can, if you're consistently seeing people who have an active role or want to take an active role in helping the city out or helping your community, or if you are a business who has the desire to play an active role, contact your community leaders. Um, there's great opportunities to work back and forth and it, there's a chance that the businesses don't know that they can play a role or there's a chance the communities don't know that there are people who want to play a role. So those open lines of communication um, are, are great opportunities. Last thing I'm gonna put up there for, for this is, is highest value use. It's very easy to turn a lot of things into a lot of mulch, um, which if the situation's right and you have some, some great needs for that mulch and some different products, that's fine. Um, mulch, you know, there's a reason we have mulch, you know, around all of our trees or hopefully around all of our trees. You know, the benefits of mulch make it a, a value to apply that mulch. However, um, if you have large trees or logs or different things that, that are available, consider some of those higher value uses. Um, it may take some, some coordination and pulling teeth at the beginning, but um, the chances are if you work through that process, um, it, it'll pay off in the end. So really take some time to think about some of those different and innovative opportunities that are out there. And last, a little bit of a plug, I guess, for, for just community forestry in general. Urban wood use is not about harvesting the urban forest for timber products or for, for wood products in general. Um, the best use for a tree in communities, providing shade, doing what it does you know, to remo remove CO2 and all the benefits that it, that it offers for, for trees and communities. This is how we want to see trees, big, healthy, um, doing what they do. Um, the second best use is putting it to a second use after that tree has died for some reason, whether it's an ash tree or whether it's you know, any other trees. Um, we really want to promote healthy trees, um, but if something were to happen, a backup plan for, for providing a second life for that tree is, is vitally important. So, and at that, I think we have some time for some questions here. So, yeah. Yes, um, it has to be less than one inch in two directions. So it could be a 10 foot long stick that's three quarter inch by three quarter inch and then that works. Um, and, and, 
and again, highly recommend everyone getting in touch with USDA or, or Nebraska Department of Ag. But um, you know, a lot of these these different methods of certifying is, you know, for especially for mulch, they have a big shaker table. They put mulch on there. If they can shake it out and shove the remaining pieces back through the holes, it qualifies, and you're good, and you can get a compliance agreement. Um, so. The, the regulations and quarantine stuff are not meant to hinder commerce. They just want to make sure that it, it doesn't spread the bug. Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, active management of trees. And I think that's, that was a little bit of a takeaway of, of John's trees. Get those trees down when they start showing, showing decline because um, you do start seeing some... Um, to decline in the quality of that product. And I think that's that's a something that, that sawmillers are starting to get a better understanding of. You know, the the theory was as well, it just goes back and forth, it doesn't go through the tree, so it's not really gonna affect the integrity. Um, but obviously John did a great job of showing that that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, we've, we, there are a number of, of biomass heat plants, um, you know, Shadron State College and, and some of these other places. Um, biomass can play a role in this. Nebraska, there's 58% there's of our Nebraska communities have access to natural gas, um, which is super cheap and very effective. Um, so it, I don't necessarily see biomass heat playing a role in solving a lot of these community issues, um, especially where they have that access to natural gas. And the, the Issue is, is sure there's going to be 46,000 tons down on public trees. That's a 10-year time frame. We really want to be able to stretch out that resource to 30 years for a, a biomass plant. And so um, understanding that, that you're going to need to diversify your fuel, um, I think, is maybe keeping some people away from making that investment. Anything else? Good. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. And if you have any questions, we'll be around all day.